Thanks for tuning in to MANA, a short daily meditation to feed hungry souls with God's Word. These episodes were prepared by ordained ministers for a radio broadcast called Voice of the Church and are now republished by the Reformed Perspective Foundation, a Canadian charity that applies biblical truth to the issues of our time. Here's today's serving. Good day, friends. It is good to be able to again reflect upon the meaning of Christmas and the coming of Jesus in the flesh. Last time we considered what it meant that Jesus was a man, what it meant that he was born a son of Adam. Today we want to consider what it means that he was born a son of Abraham. Listen for a moment to the words of Genesis 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now the call of Abram, recorded in Genesis 12, soon to be Abraham, is not merely the story of one man's faith and his willingness to follow the Lord, It is the story of how God preserved for himself a people from whom and for whom the Messiah would come. To this point in the story of redemption, the line of promise, the family of faith, was easily distinguished from the line of the serpent, the family of sin. In one part of God's creation lived Adam and Eve, along with their son, Seth, and his family, and all their children and grandchildren. And this was the line of the promise. In another part of God's creation lived Cain, with his wife and children and grandchildren. This was the line of the serpent. Now, sadly, the line of the promise failed to maintain their identity when they saw the daughters of the sons of men, and they desired them, taking them to be their wives. This is what brought on the flood of Genesis 6. For in so doing, the sons of God, the children of promise, rejected the blessing and the identity they'd been given by God. After the flood, their troubles continued. After the flood, those who remained built the Tower of Babel. They built the Tower to defy God and to be free of His judgment. But in response, God confused their languages, thereby scattering the people throughout the world, which was a matter of great concern. With everyone scattered... Where, then, was the line of promise? From whom and for whom would the Messiah come? It is in this context that we read about the call of Abram. 
Have you ever wondered why Jesus was born of the family of Abraham? There were other families, other nations in the world. Most were more impressive than Abraham and his tribe. Surely the Messiah would have been better served had he been born of a more prestigious people. Think only of our respective countries, Canada and the U.S., which are often led by members of dynastic families. So why was Jesus born of Abraham? To understand this, we need to see the place of Abraham, the father of all believers, in God's plan of redemption. You see, Abraham wasn't just another individual. He was something more. The Lord called Abraham to serve as a representative, as someone to stand at the head of a people. This is made abundantly clear in God's call of Abraham. Listen to the promise that God gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. He said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. In these words, you hear the breadth of God's plan for Abraham. God's call not only had consequences in Abraham's life, but also for a great number in and through Abraham. Thus from the first, Abraham stood before the Lord as more than just another man. He stood rather as the head of a great company of people, a people the Lord would bless. And it was from this people and for this people that the Messiah would come. A people defined now not first and foremost by biology, but by spirituality. For as the Apostle Paul reminds us, and indeed as the Scriptures testify, all who are in Christ are Abraham's offspring. So the Lord preserved for himself a people. And it is this work of salvation that we are called to trust, which is no easy thing. It wasn't for us, and it wasn't for Abram and Sarah, his wife. Oh yes, God had promised rich blessings to Abraham, including that he would make a great nation. However, as we read from Genesis 15, there was one problem. Abraham had no sons. This placed a huge question mark behind God's promise for Abraham. How could the Lord fulfill his word to him if Sarah, his wife, remained barren? Abraham's concern was not simply, would he ever enjoy the birth of a son? No, Abraham's concern as he voices it to the Lord in Genesis 15 is with the Lord's ability to fulfill his word. Would God do what he had promised? So the Lord took Abram outside to show him something of his power and glory in the stars of the heavens. As you know, the night sky is filled with the evidence of God's power and glory. As God directed Abram's gaze heavenward, the point was clear. If God could call all those stars twinkling in the night sky into existence, then giving Abraham a son was surely not beyond his ability. And in light of this revelation, Abraham believed God and was counted righteous in the sight of his God. That's what God's covenant demands of us. He gives us his word 
and we are called to believe. Understand, in that moment, Abraham still didn't have a son. But he saw that he had a God who was able to keep his word, and he trusted that God. And we know more than even Abraham did. We know of the miraculous birth, not only of Abram's son, but of a greater son in whom we have the gift of life eternal. That we must believe. It's not an option. It's the demand. The demand of God's word and of the gospel promise. True, we can't see all these things, but we must believe them. Faith is the only right response to the Lord's blessings and to his promises. Faith, a waiting, a trusting in the Lord. Now, if you're anything like me, you don't like to wait. Whether it's for a package in the mail or a lineup in the grocery store, I'm always trying to get done quicker on my timetable. This was also the problem of Sarah, the wife of Abram. And who could blame her? She was well past the years of conceiving, and knowing the importance of having a son, Sarah decided to take matters into her own hands. There was a law that made her plan legally permissible. A child born to her husband and a servant girl in their house could be legally adopted and could be made the heir of the family. The culture, the community, the law of the land allowed it. And so Sarah decided to use this specific legal custom to hurry things along a bit, to bring about the Lord's promise of a son something we're all tempted to do. When it comes to receiving the promises of God, we are tempted to do it ourselves. We go to church. We do good works. We try very hard to please the Lord, thinking that if we do all these right things, God will be happy with us. But none of this self-righteousness can overcome sin. It couldn't overcome Abram's sin, Sarah's sin, or barrenness. And Sarah's solution could not accomplish what she desired. No, she had to wait, even as we must wait. Fortunately, we wait upon the Lord in the light of Christmas, the God who keeps his promises. Don't run ahead of him. Wait upon his good pleasure, for he is faithful, and his faithfulness brings joy. When the Lord told Abram that his 90-year-old wife would have a child, Abraham laughed. Abram's laughter was because what he was told by the Lord was so wonderful and so amazing it filled his heart with joy. The Lord's promise of redemption was coming to pass and Abram's heart was filled with a joy that expressed itself in its laughter. If Abram rejoiced at the announcement of Isaac, How much more should we rejoice at the birth of our Lord? Our world laughs at the Christmas story, thinking it either humorous or strange. But it's neither. It's wonderful and joy-inducing. Christmas is a time for celebrating God's faithfulness and redeeming power. What is impossible with man was sovereignly accomplished by the Lord. Does the birth of our Lord fill us with joy? No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. 
We must join Abraham in his joy. As we think about the incarnation, let us rejoice and be glad in it. Friends, may you enjoy this day. May you celebrate God's faithfulness. And may you experience every blessing.